Psalm 100. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Oh, come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It's He who made us. And we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter therefore His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Oh, give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. Please be seated. Lord, we... We thank You for this time together. We praise You. We give You all the glory for calling us to worship You. What a privilege, what an honor it is to assemble here this morning with Your people, sitting under Your Word. So we pray that Your Spirit would make us into the likeness of Your Son. Help me, help me to be faithful, help me to be clear, sustain me, and the same for the congregation. Help the congregation to be faithful as they're listening, help them to be attentive, help them to be biblically, critically attentive, making sure that what I'm saying here is actually sound in accordance with true biblical teaching. So we all need your help, Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd be working in us, through us, and do the work that no man can do. The work of saving sinners, transforming sinners into the likeness of Jesus. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Today is the last Lord's Day of 2020. Last Lord's Day of 2020. It's amazing. Over 2020. It has been a very interesting year. And I was very careful with the word interesting. Because the word interesting actually means something that catches your attention that holds your attention, or arousing curiosity. For many people, this last year was a great source of grumbling and complaining. I, I did a Google search and I saw so many profanities related to 2020. I was amazed. Many plans were frustrated. Traveling plans. We were... At least myself was supposed to be in Mozambique last August. We were supposed to be traveling. So many people here know that your traveling plans were canceled. Brian had things canceled. Problems with presidential elections, riots, destruction, lawlessness, fires. Remember the smoking season? <laughs> All sorts of cancellations, vaccines now, restaurants, gyms, clothes, masks, social distancing, 
increase of suicide cases, lack of toilet paper, and more. So for a great number of people, 2020 was the worst year of their lives. A horrible year for many people. They look back at 2020 and their hearts are filled with sorrow, anger, and bitterness. But how about for us, Gracious Cross Reformed Church? Just like any other year, every year that we go through in union with Christ, with Christ being our shepherd, every single year is a beautiful year, a merciful year, and a gracious year. Amen? Because we deserve hell. (laughs) God's goodness, His faithfulness towards us this past year was in full display. One of the most well-known hymns of the Christian faith. Do you know which one it is? Yes, Amazing Grace. We just sang the hymn. And I don't know how many of you know that, but John Newton, when he wrote that hymn, he had the, the, the a sort of a resolution to always start the year with a new hymn, something new for his congregation, And actually, Amazing Grace was a New Year's hymn that he wrote based in 1 Chronicles 17, I believe, where the Lord is promising His covenant to David, and and He takes David to the past, and He shows David His faithfulness, His love, His gracious in the past towards David. I picked you up from where you were. And where was David? Tending the flock. I made you a king. And it's God's grace and power and majesty and mercy in the past that sustain us in the present and give us hope to the future. That's the whole hymn, Amazing Grace. Past, present, and future. And it's very important for us to always... Behold the goodness of the Lord towards us in the past. And that becomes like an anchor in the present and in the future. And I believe Psalm 100 helps us to do this. Look at the goodness of the Lord. And once we behold the goodness of the Lord, we cannot but worship, praise, Give thanks. Serve Him. So that's why I chose Psalm 100. It's a wonderful psalm for us to meditate this morning as we are ending this year and beginning a new year. So, Psalm 100. And just before we start our journey, I'd like to give some, just some information about where we are. The book of Psalms is divided, if, if you study the book of Psalms, you know that the book of Psalms is actually divided into five books. So the book of Psalms is just like the Torah. You have five books. And you can see that if you, if you turn your pages to Psalm 90. Look at Psalm 90. And you can see in your Bibles, you have a heading 
there and says book four. Book four. We have five books and they all end very similarly. We say, bless the Lord forever or praise the Lord forever. Amen. You can see that if you turn to chapter 72. Look at chapter 72. Yes. Look at verse 19. It's the end of book 2 of the Psalms. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen, amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So you see, and there is a, there is a theological purpose behind these books. And we, our Psalm, Psalm 100, is in book 4. Book 4. And book 4 is a collection of Psalms where the psalmists, they are in exile. They are away from their homeland, but they are reorienting their minds and thinking about the Lord as King and His goodness. And that's causing them to rejoice in the Lord, knowing that the Lord is faithful. He will keep His promises to David. That's where we find ourselves. In Psalm 100, starting in Psalm 93, you can see in your Bibles, starting verse in, in Psalm 90, chapter 93 of the book of Psalms, you have a collection from Psalm 93 to Psalm 100. You have a collection of royal Psalms where it praises the Lord for being king. King over all the earth. So you have the Lord reigns, starting chapter 93. And it keeps moving. It's all about the Lord reigning. The Lordship of God over all the earth. And Psalm 100 is bringing towards the end. From Psalm 93 to Psalm 100 brings the end here. And it's a conclusion, a conclusion to this mini collection. It's the crown here framing this mini collection of psalms from 93 to 100. And the author of this psalm, we can see Psalm 100, he's basically helping us to walk through, he's walking us through the process of entering the presence of the king. You can see Psalm 100. It's basically guiding us, directing us into how to enter the presence of the Lord, the king of the universe. There is protocol to enter the king's presence. Did you know that? Do you think you can show up at the White House and say, I want to meet the president with flip-flops, a tank top, shorts, and say, I'm going to go see the president. What do you think is going to happen to you? Oh, yeah, sure, come here. Let me take you to the... No. There's protocol when you come to the presence of a Someone who is higher than you. And we see that's what's taking place here. We move through the gates to the courts. We greet Him with shouts of joy and acclamation. We offer ourselves to serve Him. So that's just some background of Psalm 100. Besides that, the structure of the psalm is pretty simple. Just five verses and very symmetrical. You have seven imperatives. Seven 
exhortations or seven commands. So you have three, three, and then you have one in the middle here. So you have shout or make a joyful noise. You have serve, come. And then in the middle you have know or acknowledge. And then you have again, enter, give thanks, bless. So this fullness of exhortation, the seven, the seven exhortations to come into His presence is followed by seven reasons why we are to worship Him. For the Lord is God. He made us. We are His people. His sheep. For the Lord is good. His chesed is everlasting. His faithfulness to all generations. So you see how the the psalm is structured and very simple to follow. So here's the outline of this morning's sermon. The call to worship and then the reasons to worship. So let's move to verse 1. The call to worship. So I see the heading there in Psalm 100. A psalm for giving thanks or a psalm of thanksgiving. And the title indicates the primary purpose of the psalm. There are different types of psalms. You have psalms of lament. You have psalms of enthronement. You have psalms of pilgrimage. You have psalms of wisdom. And that's called the psalm of thanksgiving. One scholar actually labels this psalm as a psalm of reorientation. Helping God's people to reorient their minds. And that's what's taking place here. Psalm 100. A beautiful psalm. One scholar says, I think I have there, yes. All who study Psalm 100 know the exuberance, enthusiasm, and mirth that its language represents and invokes. And they yearn for such qualities in their own worship. Amen. Another scholar says, This psalm is one of the best known and best loved in the entire repertoire of the Psalter. It, it breathes a faith of simple trust, glad surrender, and a faithful responsiveness. But like every other book of the Old Testament, we as Christians must be very careful how we interpret and apply the Psalms. So many people say, oh, the Psalms is our prayers, the, the Psalms are a handbook. As if we can just go to the Psalms and forget about Christ. No, 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 no. Christ interprets the Psalms. There are some of these prayers here. I, I will not pray because I have a fuller revelation. There is application for me, but I'm not going to be praying some of these things because they were fulfilled in Christ. So we just must be careful as we come to the Psalms to remember that we are under the new covenant. Jesus becomes the lenses through which we are going to uh, interpret and apply the Psalms just like any other book of the Old Testament. Amen? We don't have a, a, a temple building anymore. So we talk about gates and the courts. So we need to understand how that's transferred into the new covenant community now. So, let's go. It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. And the psalm opens with a, a call for all the earth to make, that's the ESV, make a joyful noise. If you have the NIV, it says shout for joy. 
And some other translations have shout triumphantly. And sometimes when you think about make a joyful noise, you might think about some random noises that people are making. And that's not what the psalmist is saying. The Hebrew word here was used especially for times of war, victory. And those are shouts of acclamation towards the king. Triumphant shouts. That's the natural reaction to victory, excitement, and being in the presence of the one whom you long for. Something similar to, long live the king. All hail the power of Jesus' name. That's, that's a, a joyful noise. It's not random people yelling here and there and, and declaring, oh, that's my joyful noise I'm making. No, it's they're together. They're singing, they're praising, they're blessing the Lord's name. The context is very clear here. The context of the psalm is in, relation, in relationship to the kingship of God. And His kingship, His lordship leads us to shout to Him triumphantly. Sing loud to Him. There's an aspect of bursting your voices. And declaring with a loud tone of voice the excitement, the joy, the gladness of being His presence. And that's something that many Reformed churches need to learn. Because a lot of times, Reformed churches, the time of singing, people look like half dead if they're not dead all the way. And we here in this church need to learn. You need to use your voices. People here, they're here to help us. We don't have a band. It's not a concert. It's not a show that you come to watch. You come to sing. It's about your voices. Amen? So, we see here, and if you go to Revelation chapter 4 and 5, and you get a glimpse of heaven, how are they singing in heaven? Oh, hey, oh, they pray, oh, yeah. No, it's loud. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How are they singing in heaven? So that's how we must sing in church. And you see the pattern in the Old Covenant here. And it says, make a joyful noise to whom? To random people? To the Lord. Yahweh. That's the, the Hebrew word. The Lord, the the, the covenant-keeping God. And as soon as you, you see this word Yahweh, you are taken to Exodus chapter 3, where the Lord reveals His name as the Lord. We rescue His people from captivity, from Egypt. So, this is shout of loyalty. That's all we see here. And you see that's to the Lord. It's Lord-centered. And if you read the psalm, you see... How many references to the Lord there are here. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve the Lord. Come to His presence. Know that the Lord, for the Lord, who is the center of the worship? The Lord. The Lord. Man is always fascinated with himself. Amen? Look at Facebook, your Instagram. It's all about yourself. And that's how so many churches are. It's all about men. How can we entertain men? 
Man is fascinated with himself. But the Bible shows us that true worship is fascinated with God, with the Lord. The primary audience is the Lord. Our hearts and voices are, first of all, directed to the one who sits on the throne. But we cannot neglect, as, as you study the subject of praising and singing to the Lord, that one aspect of singing to the Lord implies singing to one another. Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3. Wait, wait a second. Am I supposed to sing to the Lord or to sing to one another? When you are Lord-centered, there is no way but to become other-centered. So it's very important for us to learn this. This time of singing and praising, a time of joy, and we sing to one another. We need to hear each other's voice. I know what you're going through during the week. The trials you're going through. The joys you're having. And it's so good to hear your voice singing to the Lord. Praising Him. It builds us up. Amen? It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Notice the evangelistic call. All the earth is called to come and worship the Lord. Not only Israel. Yahweh, the Lord, is not a, a, a God of a tribe. He's the God of the universe. And when you look at the context of the psalm, it's beautiful. When a scholar gets the picture here, he says, the crescendo of praises that has been building since Psalm 93 now reaches a climax in Psalm 100. Psalm 100 brings to a conclusion the central celebration of the Lord's kingship. A kingship that makes Him Lord of all the earth. Psalm 97 verse 5. And the supreme over all the earth. Psalm 97 verse 9. His glorious deeds have been published among the nations. Psalm 96 verse 3. And His righteousness has been revealed to every nation. Psalm 98, verse 2. So it's fitting that Psalm 100 addresses all the earth with its invitation and motivation to worship the Lord. The call is to all. But when you see it's only those who humble themselves and come that actually worship Him. So, verse 2. He says, here is the second imperative, the second command. Serve the Lord with gladness. And for some people, that's scandalous. Serve the Lord. Actually, if you have the NIV, it says what? Does anybody have the NIV? Worship. Worship the Lord. Because it's inseparable to serve and to worship. The same Hebrew word was used for worship and for service. You worship through serving. And for so many people in the Christian church in America, the worship time is the time to be served. I came to be served. Entertain me. Take care of my kids. Make me feel good. 
And you see, that's the opposite of the Bible. Worship is service. Serving the Lord. John Goldinger, in his commentary, he says, the verb does point to the fact that worshiping Yahweh involves a serious submission of the whole self. It involves the words of the mouth and the feelings of the heart. Oh, with joy. It's a strange kind of servitude that it's offered with joy. But it's not confined to words and feelings. The verb implies that worship is done for God's sake and not for ours. Servants serve their masters, not themselves. Sometimes we read in English and we don't catch that because it's hard to see the difference between plural and singular. Is he talking about you singular or he's talking about you plural? And it's you plural. You all serve with gladness. Serving the Lord is not for a minority of God's people. It's for everyone. All of you. Young and old. Men and women. Feeling like serving and not feeling like serving. And how are, how are we supposed to serve the Lord? Look at that. With what? Gladness. There is a temptation to serve the Lord with grumbling and murmuring. Oh, here am I again. Once again, I need to do the setup. Oh, once again, I need to count the money. Oh, once again, I need to take a meal to that person. Oh, once again, I need to open my house. And the Lord says, Serve the Lord with gladness. The Hebrew word implies pleasure, delight, excitement. And I hope there is gladness and excitement in all our hearts as we are serving the Lord. I love that song that sometimes we sing here. Gladly would I give to Jesus all affection, everything, for the washing of His mercy makes my ransom heart to sing. And notice that's not an option. It's not a take or leave piece of advice. It's a command. Serve the Lord with gladness when you come to His presence. (laughs) So let me ask you. How have you been serving the Lord with gladness? How have you been serving the Lord by serving His people with gladness? Because remember, how do you serve the Lord? By serving His body, His people. So how have you been serving the Lord with gladness? And then he says, come into His presence. Here is another imperative. Come, come into His presence with singing. You've got to behold the grace of God in inviting sinners like you and me. Miserable people. Miserable people. Unclean people to come into His presence. And in His presence there is what? Fullness of joy. And He says, come into my presence. And how are you to come into His presence? With singing. Why do we sing so much in church? Why do we sing as Christians? See, Christianity is a singing faith. God commands us to sing, both under the Old and the New Covenant. We sing songs to the Lord 
in all sorts of, of meetings, at weddings, funerals, different types of meetings, even budget meetings we sing to the Lord. In times of joy, in times of pain, the Christian community is a singing community. At the moment of your conversion, at the moment of your salvation, the Lord makes you a singer. Did you know that? And I have biblical, I have biblical roots to tell you that. Yeah, Jesse, we all are singers. At the moment that the Lord saves us, we are saved to sing. And it's a, I think about singing. Singing is such a, an amazing thing. There's complexity and there's simplicity. Last Friday, I remember Ariella trying to sing uh, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. <laughs> so you see, but at the same time, it's so simple to sing. But you think the complexity behind singing requires the harmonious work of the thought process, emotions, the vocal cords, the muscles that we have, the respiratory system, and how the sounds and keys go through the air. So there's complexity and at the same time simplicity here. So as I said, we are saved to sing. And here's First Peter, for example, chapter 2, verse 9. The doctrine of election. Chosen by God, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And how can we not sing to the Lord who rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and placed us in the kingdom of His Son? How can anyone who has truly experienced salvation remain silent when you're singing this beautiful truth of the gospel? Honestly. We just sing, no power of hell, no schemes of men can ever pluck me from His hand till He returns or calls me home. How can we not sing? Or, thy, not, thy eye diffuse a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. How can we not sing? Unless there is no salvation and these things are not real in your life. How about this one? The dying thief rejoiced to see that a fountain in his day. And there have I, though I was see. Wash all my sins away. Wash all. How can I? I cannot sing that song. Wash all my sins away. Yes, and though as virus sing, you know, wow, he bore my wrath that I deserved. Wow, he drank the full cup. There is not a single drop of wrath for me to endure. That's just impossible. That's impossible. 
We see that the Lord's presence and power on our behalf requires singing. So we come into His presence with singing. And singing is more than noise. Singing reorients our lives as we are singing His truths. John is taught, he says, For if God is King, what, what can we do but worship Him with joy? Then he says, Away with the funeral faces. Where God is and where He reigns, there is singing. And then you can see the center. The center imperative. The one in the middle. It says, Know, know that the Lord, He is God. So that implies that all the singing, all the shouting, all the serving that we do is informed by the knowledge of God. And knowledge is much more than just intellectual assessment. Knowledge through all the Scripture is this relational experience with God. And the word here implies recognizing and acknowledging. So this call to knowledge, to acknowledge that the Lord is God, destroys superficial sentimentality. That's what we see in a lot of gatherings. Superficial sentimentality. So people are shouting and clapping and dancing out of sentimentality, not out of a true understanding of who God is and what He has done for us. So that's very important. No! So right in the center, theology, doctrine, informs the doxology, the singing, and the praising. Stands in the center here. That's why the preaching is so crucial. I have been to churches. I remember being in a church in Brazil. And, and the, mark, the mark that the service was amazing, that the Holy Spirit was there, was that there was no preaching. There was no preaching. It was so amazing, the service, that the preacher was not able to preach. That's the sentimentality. They don't have the knowledge of God. They don't know why they're doing those things. And then he says in verse 4, goes back to the call to worship. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. We are always, as Luke read here, 1 Thessalonians 5, we must always give thanks to the Lord. And we think about our church as we are gathering together as the temple of God to worship Him. As we come together, we must come with thanksgiving. You must come with thanksgiving. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your mercy. If it was not Your mercy, I would never be with Your people right now, worshiping You. One scholar says, to thank God is to acknowledge that He alone is the powerful one. When God is acknowledged as the Lord of all, thanksgiving becomes a humbling act, admitting, admitting the dependency of human existence. 
In biblical theology, the failure to acknowledge one's dependency upon the Creator is the root of all sins. And then he says, bless His name. What is the name of the Lord? But His character, His attributes, what He does. Bless His name. Oh, the Lord is in the center of all the worship here. It's His gates, His courts, His presence, His name. Worship is all about our triune God. And it's beautiful. Look at it. Enter His gates. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Jesus opened the gates wide open. There was a time where He could not enter those gates. And Jesus opened the gates wide open. So sometimes we read this and we are so familiar with these things that we are not astounded and amazed by the grace of God. Let me remind you, the gates are shut closed for those who do not have the robes to come inside. And there was a time in our lives when we could not get through those gates to worship Him. Look at Revelation says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by what? By the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. That was all of us, brothers and sisters. All of us. Dogs outside the gates. So do not let the simplicity of this invitation in Psalm 100 conceal the wonder and the magnitude of what's taking place. We are welcome into the presence of the Most Holy God. Enter His gates. Jesus has opened the way. That's what the author of Hebrews says. A better way has been opened. A better gate. And the Lord wants us to enter and draw near to Him, come into His presence, filled with gladness, joy, songs of adoration, shouts of acclamation. Does anybody here deserve to get inside through those gates and come into His courts? Does anybody here believe that you were by nature good enough to tell the gatekeepers, open this gate that I may come in. Now, it's all by the grace and mercy of God. We deserve to be separated from the gracious and loving presence of God for all eternity. Yet Jesus opens the gate wide open. Not only wide open, but He brings us. The Father brings us and clothes us with righteousness in order to come into His presence. So He says, enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praises. Tehillah. So we get hallelujah, the hallel psalms. So we come with songs of adoration. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. Singing, praising Shouts of adoration, singing, blessing, shouts of adoration. You see what the psalmist is doing here. That's how we must enter God's presence. That's how He wants. 
His people to come into His presence. I came across the United Methodist hymnal. And it was very interesting because right in the beginning of the hymnal, there is the directions for singing. Directions for singing written by Charles Wesley. And Charles Wesley, he says, here's how, that's the directions. Before you get to the hymnal, directions for singing. Direction number four. Dear Charles Wesley says, Sing with passion and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, no more ashamed of its being heard than when you sang the songs of Satan. And when I read that, I said, Amen. Amen, Brother Wesley. I remember the days when I sang the songs of Satan. I remember singing songs filled with profanity. Nothing was pleasing to the Lord. And many of you here too remember singing. ACDC, Pink Floyd, Metallica, Bob Marley. Profanity. Songs that don't please the Lord. But the mercy and grace of God, when He changed our hearts, and He puts a new song in our mouths, and we can but sing to Him. That's what the psalmist is doing here. That's what Psalm 126 says. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Yes, the Lord has done great things for us. That's why we are glad and we sing. Amen? So, enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. Please, please, do not let the simplicity of this invitation to erase the profoundity of the grace that's here. We now can enter His gates. There was one time that we were just like any other immoral person outside the gates. But by the grace of God in Jesus, the gates wide open. And now we can come into His presence, singing, praising Him. So how can we not sing, right? That's the question. How can you sing? But how can we not sing? That's the question. How can I not enter His courts with praise? And serve Him with gladness. And I just want to remind you that we read these things and, and that requires preparation of your heart. Don't you think that you live your life the way you want and then suddenly you're going to come into the Lord's presence with the Lord's people on a Sunday and you're going to be just like this requires preparation. Preparation of the heart. Preparation of your mind. 
How do you prepare yourself throughout the week? How do you prepare yourself Saturdays? How do you prepare yourself Sunday mornings to come into His presence with thanksgiving instead of grumbling and complaining and arguing? So, we see the call to worship. Now, let's look at the reasons to worship. And it's possible, it's important, it's possible to, to, to think through this because it's possible for some people to be singing, to be shouting for joy, to be serving, and yet not knowing why they're doing those things. Right? It's possible for people to be singing songs right here and raising hands. And serving and carrying things around and helping each other and yet not know why they're doing that. And that's idolatrous. <laughs> so the Lord tells us, here are the reasons why we must do these things. First, verse 3, Know that the Lord, He is God. It's He who made us and we are His. And all begins with the knowledge of God, and the knowledge of God leads to the knowledge of the self. Once we know who God is, then we can know who we are. And that's exactly what he's doing here. First, know who the Lord is. The Lord is God. And now he's going to tell us who we are. It's he who made us, and we are his. Like a potter, he made us. And I don't think that the psalmist is talking primarily about creation, but about new creation. Throughout the Old Testament, we see many references to the Lord making Israel. The Lord made Israel, meaning He redeemed them. He made them His people. So, for example, Deuteronomy 32.6, Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not He your Father who created you, who made you and established you? Meaning, it's Him who saved you from Egypt. And are you going to treat Him like that? So the making here, it's He who made us, implies the saving work of God. Because God made everyone in a creation sense, but not everyone is part of His sheep. So He made us a people for Himself. And we see that in the New Testament. So for example, Ephesians chapter 2. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Him. That's salvation. Not primarily creation, but a new creation. He made us. Or Revelation 1, verse 5 through 6. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom. Priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So we are His because He saved us. He made us in Christ. So we belong to Him. He is the potter. We are the clay. And then He says, we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Look at that. We are His people. That's covenantal language. 
You go through all these scriptures and over and over again, God says, and I'll be or I am your God and you are my people. Remember the great promise of the new covenant. And now we'll be your God and you will be my people. So that's covenantal language here. We are His people. And Peter applies that to the church. Look at First Peter chapter 2. And Peter applies all these this things here because he talks about being His people and then being His flock. It says, but you, referring to the church, but you, church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then in chapter 5, he talks about the church being the flock of God. Just the same metaphor, the same language that the psalmist used here. So we see, we are His people. It's His presence. It's His people, His pasture, His gates, His courts, His name. It's all about Him. And that's why we must rejoice. And that's why there is joy in worship. Because it's not about us. It's about Him. And that's what brings us together. Amen? That's what brings us together. is to worship Him. To sing to Him. To serve Him. To enter His gates. And now, finally, it says, so he tells why we must worship Him and he talks about who we are. We are His people. He made us. We are His sheep. That's who we are. And our identity determines what we do. Who we are informs what we do. And now he shifts to the attributes of our Lord. So in verse 5, the reasons to continue singing and worshiping and serving. He says, for the Lord is what? He's good. For the Lord is good. And so often, this phrase is repeated throughout the Psalms. The Lord is good. Do you remember where is the, in the Bible the first time that the word good, tov, appears? In the creation account. What He makes is good. There is no evil in Him. There is nothing bad. It's beautiful. All His ways, Moses says, all His ways are good. So first of all, He's good. And then it says, and His, the ESV says, in His steadfast love, or if you have the NASB, it says, His loving kindness. Or loyal love. And that's that beautiful Hebrew word, chesed. You remember when you were studying Ruth and the word chesed? That we don't have a translation in English. It's so broad. It's so beautiful. So profound that we don't have one English word that can capture all the faithfulness and graciousness and mercy of God in, in keeping His covenant towards people who don't deserve his covenantal love. And then third, he says, in his faithfulness, his faithfulness, his stability, his reliability, 
to all generations. And there is a triad here. His goodness, His chesed, and His faithfulness. Reminds us of the Trinity and the glory of the Trinity displayed at the cross of Christ. So, the year of 2020 was a very interesting year. As a church, we went through a lot, but the Lord has been extremely good towards us. His benevolence, His said, His faithfulness keep dragging us into our knees to worship Him. Amen? Yes, we had members leaving the church. We had sickness, especially in the beginning of this year. Right? So many people sick. January, February. But the Lord was very good. Very good. Rich in loving kindness and faithfulness. How can we not make a joyful noise? How can we not serve Him with gladness? How we cannot enter His gates with singing when He gave us to this church here four babies. Apollo, Juliana, Maybelline, and Micah. He gave spouses to four members. We had the weddings of Ben and Emily and Matt and Hannah. He gave us new members. Emily, Joseph and Annette, Kent, Terry and Tammy, and Ben and Carly. We're going to present them today, but they're sick. We're, but they, they went through the membership process. We got the approval. We're going to present them today. He has brought more people to our church to hear His Word. He blessed us with the spread of the Gospel to many different places. He has given us new hymns to sing. He has provided our daily bread. He gave us Anchored in Truth as partnership for our missions. And the Lord gave us places to meet in different Sundays and Wednesdays. Amen? We had a barn at Daniel and Rebecca's. Remember, it was cold. Met outside, Aldersgate, and back here. The goodness of the Lord, His faithfulness, His faithfulness. He gave us as a church a much stronger unity of affection and conviction. The leaders of the elders here can clearly see a stronger unity of affection and conviction. Our joy in the Lord and His church increased this past year. So many blessings, so many blessings to bless His name. So He says, Know that the Lord He is God. It's He who made us and we are His. We are His people. We are not His enemies. We are His people. And the sheep of His pasture. And I thought about 2020. Oh, how good the shepherd is. How good the shepherd is. He truly guided us. 
He restored our soul. So many people downcast, frustrated, down, and He restored our soul. He led us in paths of righteousness. He led us beside still waters. He made us lie down in green pastures. He was with us through the valley, and His rod and His staff comforted us. So behold the goodness of God. Behold the goodness of God in the past. And that will sustain us in the future. His goodness and faithfulness in the past assures us that He will keep being faithful forever. No matter what happens this coming year, we know that our Lord is God. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. His goodness, His chesed, His steadfast love, His faithfulness will follow us all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? That's the goodness of the Lord. And we will keep singing. We will keep serving with gladness. We will keep entering His courts with thanksgiving and praises. Because He is good. Christ has opened the gate. Has welcomed us. How can we not sing and praise Him for His faithfulness? Great is Thy goodness. Great is Thy loving kindness. Great is Thy faithfulness, Lord. Lord, we thank You. We are truly humbled by Your love, by Your goodness, by Your faithfulness to people who deserve hell. Oh, Lord, how beautiful You are. How merciful You are to save us. To transform dogs that were outside the gates into sons and daughters, priests to serve the Lord, a royal priesthood. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for calling us out of darkness that we may praise you and worship you. And Lord, we, we give you all the thanks that we don't know what's coming this next year. Praise the Lord that we don't know the future. But we know the past and we know who you are. For so many people, 2020 was a horrible year. But for us, it was a year that we could see and taste that the Lord is good. And we know that your goodness and your sad will follow us all the days of our lives because of Jesus, because of our union with Christ. So Lord, I pray that if there is somebody here who doesn't know You, who is outside Your gates, I pray that they would walk through Jesus, the true gate, the true way, and they will find goodness and faithfulness and steadfast love. So we praise You and we thank You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.